Today on Loose Head Cannon, we're taking a closer look at one of cinema's most iconic characters. But is everyone's favorite smuggler really all that in a bag of chips? Everybody knows Han Solo's full of himself. But is he actually just a huge liar? Did Kylo really commit patricide? Or was it Han who pulled the trigger? Sure, he wasn't a fan of the Force for most of his life, but was Han hiding some midi-chlorians up his sleeve? Or was he just stupid lucky? I'm Spencer Sands, a spice-addicted bounty hunter working for Jabba the Hutt. And I'm Brendan Neistat, a guy who is neither little nor freaky enough to join Kanji Club. And this is Loose Head Cannon. Headcanon, the show that tries to answer the questions left for us in the great works of fiction. We aren't trying to poke holes in plots. Instead, we prefer, with love and respect, to ponder the stories within stories that make the most sense. When Han Solo first appeared in 1977 Star Wars, uh, as played by Harrison Ford, he lit up the silver screen. This scoundrel with a heart of gold is rightfully a fan-favorite character. But one thing that's unclear about Han Solo is just how much he's actually telling the truth. From the moment he appears, he's a wheeling and dealing guy just trying to make his way out of a massive debt. Even though he earns his spot with our Star Wars heroes, how much of a con man is he? Uh, this first idea has to do with the infamous Kessel Run, uh, when Han Solo is talking to Obi-Wan and Luke Skywalker in the cantina. Um, he's trying to sell them on you know, why he's the man for the job to get him to Alderaan, and he mentions that he's the pilot of the famed Millennium Falcon, to which uh, you know Luke rightfully looks confused, and he goes, what, you've never heard of the ship that did the Kessel Run in 12 parsecs? And this has been the source of both internal LucasArts retconning and fan theorizing. So I guess what we have to do is explain, uh, let's go with the EU first. The old EU stated that the Kessel Run uh, was a run through a, uh, an area of space that's just like littered with black holes. And in order to make the Kessel Run, um, you have to have a ship A that is fast enough to overcome the gravity well created by these black holes. And, and that's why the speed is so important. But the, dis the, the unit of measurement that is used here, parsecs, is actually a unit of distance, not a unit of time. So the idea that you're doing the Kessel Run in a certain number of parsecs effectively means that you're able to plot a straight course through like a minefield, but your ship is so fast that you can overcome that gravity well. At least that's the retconned explanation. Yeah, that's, uh, I, I like that explanation a lot, but it's clear that that was, you know, it's, it's all about the units. Somebody was obsessing over the units being incorrect because the way Han says it, you'd assume that it's a, you know, it's a measurement of time, but it's not. It's a measurement of distance. Mm -hmm. It was a friend of mine uh, named Daniel who first pointed out that if you watch that scene, and again, it's very, it's very like, has a lot to do with Alec Guinness's performance throughout the entire film. When Han Solo says I, it's the ship that did the Kessel Run in 12 parsecs, it cuts back to Alec Guinness's Obi-Wan, and he looks sort of smug about it. Mm -hmm. And I guess what's kind of left for us in that space is to go, oh, he gets it. Obi-Wan 100% sees through this dude's bullshit, but, you know, he's not super rude. He's not going to call him out on it. And I guess the question here is, in terms of, like, headcanon, is the Kessel Run something that is measured in parsecs, or is Han Solo just utterly 
making stuff up? Is he completely uh, just lying to these two, trying to convince them of how good the Millennium Falcon is? Yeah, that's one thing that I've been pondering, um, thinking about George Lucas's intent with this scene and just trying to take this one single movie on its own, because it's really hard to divorce this from a lot of the other material that we've been exposed to over the decades, right? I think at this point, within at least within what's canonical for Lucasfilm, it's it's clear that the Kessel Run was a thing and Han Solo was really, really good at it. But, you know, I what what if he just made it up or what if he never even competed in the Kessel Run? You know, what if what if he's just pulling this wild lie out of his butt to impress these guys that he really needs to take on uh, in order to make the money to pay Jabba off with? Exactly. The whole time, it's hard to get a sense of that. Uh, my friend Daniel has uh, asserted that there he raised the question of whether or not there was stage direction mm-hmm. that might indicate Ben's reaction to it. And in fact, Daniel is spot on. Uh, this is from IMDB at imsdb.com. I'm looking at the New Hope script, and it says, again, this was Daniel who pointed this out, so well done, Daniel. I should never doubt you. Ben, uh, yes, indeed, if it's a fast ship. Fast ship, says Han. Uh, you've never heard of the Millennium Falcon? Ben, uh, should I have? Han, it's the ship that made the Kessel run in less than 12 parsecs. Ben reacts to Solo's stupid attempt to impress him with obvious misinformation. Wow, that's seriously what the script says. Uh, if I am to believe that this is the correct script via uh, IMSDB. Okay. So uh, I guess it's not really headcanon. <laughs> oh my gosh. It's, uh, I really, I really want to fact check that real quick. <laughs> yeah, no, please, by all means. Um, so, I mean, but that's interesting that right away, like Lucas's intent is to sort of have this character be objectively terrible, right? And so I, I think Han Solo is is victim a little bit, not just to like our own kind of headcanon fan theory stuff, but sort of like a changing view of the character on the part of the creative team. If we take Han Solo based on this Cantina interaction, he is he lies according to the script. He uh, shoots a dude, not quite in cold blood, but he's not slow on the trigger, right? There's, there's no, no he, he has no he has no second thought, right? And then he pays uh, probably about a nickel and says sorry for the mess. This is a terrible person. He also splits at the first opportunity. So like a New Hope Han Solo is not a great dude, but. You know, as time goes on and he develops into this sort of fan favorite character, he he kind of falls victim to the sort of like his own mythology, you know, where this idea that the Kessel Run isn't just nonsense gets, you know, retconned into, oh, no, no, that's a logical explanation of something. Just while you're fact checking, further digging into the EU, the guy who Obi-Wan talks to who points him to Chewbacca and eventually to Han Solo uh, is named Boshek and the... uh, the old EU stories go that Boshek had actually done the Kessel Run faster, but is not the same sort of braggart that Han Solo is. Ah, uh, yes, Boshek. Everybody's favorite character. Everybody loves Boshek. Boshek's great. Well, okay, I think, I, think that we can, I think that we can say with some certainty that this is probably pretty legit. I'm seeing it on a couple of different sources, uh, but it's also the internet, so who knows what, who copied what from, from who. So that's that's really interesting. That's that's why that explains Alec Guinness's performance because the direction shows clearly that he's supposed to be reacting to you know Han Solo just like making up stuff on the spot. Yeah, I can uh, I can run the mile in uh, you know three thousand feet. Yeah, I'm rolling my eyes right now. You can't see it, but I'm I'm definitely rolling my eyes. Though that's what the stage direction said you should do. <laughs> uh, um, so, but I, I think that's I think that's that's interesting that that's a part of Han Solo's character 
that kind of canonically gets changed, right? A little bit. And I think that I want to talk now about like how this is reinforced with The Force Awakens and how it might actually be a little bit disproven, or at least it demonstrates the change of the view of the character as far as the saga goes. It's very clear in the screenplay from J.J. Uh, Abrams and Lawrence Kasdan that Han Solo is a man who has run out of tricks. He is at the end yeah, of absolutely. He is at the end of the the galaxy. He has no one else that he can bilk into, you know, uh, dealing with him, and nobody wants to nobody wants to deal with him at all anymore. And so that that leads me to believe that they also they also some on some level or another agree that Han Solo is is probably a good pilot, but is also full of a lot of crap. <laughs> like he he has the skills to pay the bills, but maybe he just naturally falls into this pattern of just like trying to hoodwink everybody. Because you know, in in the Empire Strikes Back, we get to see that he's a capable pilot, but the the Kanji Club and the Guavin Death Gang are they 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 want nothing to do with Solo anymore. They both have figured out that he's ripped them off basically. But then on the other hand, you have Ray come into the scene where she already knows all of Han Solo's accomplishments. She already knows that he ran the Kessel the the Kessel Run in twelve parsecs. Uh, well, she thinks it was fourteen. Oh, she thought it was 14. That's true. But we also don't know if she, if that's hearsay. That's just, Han Solo is so good at marketing himself that he's spread that lie across the galaxy and it sticks. Or what? Um, I don't know. What's your take on the interpretation from The Force Awakens? Well, so I think The Force Awakens one kind of builds on right back to that cantina where we first meet Han, where Greedo is, you know, giving him a, is effectively like taking him in for questioning because he failed to deliver on a job. Mm-hmm. He had to dump you know, a bunch of spice because he was going to get boarded by the Imperials. And Han says, like, hey, even I get boarded sometimes. But you kind of have to wonder if maybe Han gets bored more often than other smugglers, especially given how he is boarded by two different gangs simultaneously in The Force Awakens. Yeah, I my sense of The Force Awakens is that they very much are kind of viewing Han Solo as a man who, who uh, not outlived his relevancy, but... Is is exactly out of tricks, like. Mm-hmm. But Han Solo's character is such an, and I love Han Solo. Like I don't, I don't want anybody to take away from this podcast that Spencer hates Han Solo because I don't. I love Han Solo, but I think that Han Solo is really interesting. He kind of inadvertently gets his name tied to the rebellion, and by Jedi, he's General Solo, apropos of nothing. Right? We weren't originally planning to talk about this, but one of my fan theories, one of my head canons is Han Solo saves Luke Skywalker's life um, in the trench run, yeah? Like, uh, Darth Vader, you know, famously says, I have you now, and then he doesn't. Mm-hmm. Uh, Mahler Mythol, you know, gets his solar panel shot by the Falcon, and he runs into uh, runs into Vader, which sends him careening just out of explosion radius, and Han Solo lets Luke know, lets Luke know that he's got a clear shot or whatever. But uh, it's always been my, my headcanon that Chewie made him turn around. I mean, I think that we've we've seen in a lot of the other films that Chewie is the so he is the one with the a big heart, and he's a little bit of a he's a little bit of a softy. He's you know always hugging people and he's very affectionate. Yeah, I think Chewie is kind of Han's moral compass. I buy that. I totally buy that theory. But so then, which it makes it at least for my head can it makes it so much sadder that Chewie is ignored famously in the medal awarding ceremony, mm-hmm. while Han. Han lucky shot solo gets a medal and within you know four what goes on between a new hope and Jedi that gets him the title of general 
because he spends a lot of time like what what is the sort of at least in the old EU it was at least a year right that he was frozen in carbonite how long yeah, the shadows so. of the empire yeah it's like i, it's I, I could be messing up my numbers but it's a chunk of time uh i don't believe he i think he was commander solo at echo base and so what does he do between echo base and endor that gets him general my personal theory on this is that the title general doesn't mean quite as much or it's given out more freely in the star wars universe uh, for example, um, when Jar Jar is made a bombad general by Boss Nass in Star Wars Episode One: The Phantom Menace, he passes out because he's, you know, he's clearly is shocked by get, have, having that title bestowed on him. But also, why would anyone name Jar Jar a general? Like, it, it just must have a different meaning. Do you know what the name of the event wherein the uh, leader of a Gungan group is chosen is? No, I don't think I do. Uh, it's referred to as a big, nasty free-for-all. <laughs> I like that. Yeah, I'm glad I could help. Thank you, Michael, for teaching me that. Um, but, yeah, so I think The Force Awakens really plays into this idea that Han Solo is, he's not a, I think by the time of The Force Awakens, he's not a bad dude. That sort of, like, the really rough edges of Han Solo are totally filed off by the start of Empire, um, and even probably by the end of A New Hope. Definitely that, you know, he returned to his roguish ways. Uh, I think in the new canon, and I haven't read the books, unfortunately, but in the new canon, he, like, you know, in his sort of quasi-divorce from Leia, he is out, he's out racing again. Yeah, absolutely. That's, and that's, that's another, that's another thing about the character that I feel like has kind of been added on more recently, right? That he was involved with racing and, you know, these very, these very complicated tournaments of racing. You get to hear about one of them when when he's uh, away during the book uh, bloodline actually uh but i don't i don't remember han solo and racing really being other than the kessel run perhaps other uh being tied together at least you know in the way that they're they're really doubling down on it in the in the new canon which is really it's it's fun it's cool i think it fits with this with the character and it kind of ties into um lucas's own sort of like hot rod enthusiasm and that sort Absolutely. of like drag racing Um, American graffiti stuff. The only specific mention of racing that I can think of from the old EU that is tied to Han Solo is that he did swoop race on Corellia, which everybody on Corellia is doing something fast and is an amazing pilot. Uh, It's from Corellia that we get Wedge Antilles, Suntir Fell, um, Han Solo, uh, Dengar is supposedly an amazing swoop racer, but it it was in a swoop race against Dengar that Han Solo... um, did like a, a very morally questionable maneuver that caused Dengar to be severely scarred and uh, traumatized. Oh, that's that's interesting. I feel like that 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 with Dengar's appearance in the Clone Wars, basically looking the same as he does in Empire Strikes Back, we can we can assume that that's that's not quite the the backstory anymore. But it's still kind of cool to tie those together. Yeah, I like it. I like the. I mean, Tales of the Bounty Hunter is a fun book, but my takeaway as a kid reading that was, wow, everybody hates Han Solo. Clearly, he's had run-ins with a lot of different people. <laughs> yeah, but like the wrong people consistently. Why don't we move? Let's continue with the Force Awakens. This is a this is a theory, and I wish I could attribute it to who I originally heard it from. But ever since I, I did hear it, it's something that I've really pondered, especially as Episode Eight is coming up, uh, and it has to do with the scene 
where Han confronts his uh, angsty son Kylo, uh, and Kylo's you know, I, I have to I have to like stop for a second and just say that I actually like Kylo Ren. I think he gets an unnecessary amount of uh, trash talk. I think that he's one of the more interesting new aspects introduced into Force Awakens. You know, we can we can talk about how the Force Awakens like leans really really heavily on a New Hope, and it kind of uses the same structure and similar things happen. But I think that for me, Kylo Ren was like one of the highlights. It was, uh, you know, it's a clever inversion. You know, t- typically you would have a character who is good being pulled to the dark side. This is a character who is wants to be bad so badly, but the light is calling him. So you have a little bit of an inversion there that I appreciate. Which I love. And it's that inversion that really uh, makes this piece of uh, headcanon kind of compelling to me. Uh, and the concept is that when Han Solo and Kylo Ren are kind of talking it out on a bridge, which is the best place to have a father-son get-together, according to Star Wars. Yeah, over um, a giant chasm. Always. <laughs> into infinity. As they're doing that, Han Solo, they get increasingly close, and Han Solo leans in for the hug, or something. There's some sort of embrace that occurs, and what we want to call that is is totally t- debatable. But the embrace happens, and then we hear the, the oh-so-familiar sound of a lightsaber activating, Right. And I think the the surface read of that scene is that Hans, that Kylo Ren has killed his father and like really cast off his last connection to his humanity, and he can fully embrace the dark side now. Uh, and that's good, I guess. But the headcanon, the theory that I like so much, is that Han actually pulls the trigger on himself, robbing his kid of the opportunity to fully go evil. So now Kylo is left knowing that he was unable to kill his own father, that he is, he is, his, like, ascendancy to full-on evil was denied to him. And I think it's really compelling. I really dig that, and I think that there's, you know, it's vague enough in the insert shot that you get, because the, what, what, the exchange that's happening between them is that I think Kylo unclips his lightsaber from his belt and puts it in front of him in both of his hands, and Han puts his hands on it, too, so they're both touching it. Yep. In a way that, yep. you know, you can totally buy the idea that maybe Han could have been the one who activated it. It's more fun to 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 either go for an intentional Kylo activation or an intentional Han activation. I think saying <laughs> that it was an accident is kind of ridiculous. Of the whoopsie-daisy? No. Is anyone yeah. saying that? I've not heard that theory. <laughs> and I, I haven't heard anybody explicitly say it because I think that, you know, the, the I think that the, the intent probably is that Kylo kills him. But I think that it's so like like you were like you were getting at it's it's so much more complex. If Han, who says to his son that he would do anything to help his son, kills himself uh, in order to try and somehow like keep him from falling completely into the dark side. Yeah, exactly. This idea that Han knows that if his son pulls the trigger, if his son kills him, that he will have done it. He will have like you know gone full circle into the uh, into the dark side. So Han cuts him off mm-hmm. you know stops him from doing it and kylo is just left it's such a it's a it's a fun scene it's hard to read what it is because kylo doesn't like cackle with glee or anything there's just sort of a weird pregnant pause that occurs before chewy shoots him in the shoulder yeah and he doesn't he doesn't have a look on his face like he's triumphant all of a sudden right he still exactly. looks kind of ambivalent and unsure and I think that that's, that's what makes it really easy to read different interpretations into this moment. I'm sure, I'm sure that it'll be, you know, probably an intentional Kylo uh, thing where he killed his own father. But man, I think that there are a lot of interesting dramatic things that you could put into it. 
if Han was actually the one who killed himself. I think that the shred of evidence that goes against the theory of Han activating it is the really shocked expression on Han's face. He looks very surprised that he just got lightsabered in the chest. Well, how would you look if a lightsaber just activated in your gut? I, don't, I would probably even, look pretty surprised. I think even if you know that it's coming, that one's probably going to render you a little shocked. I don't mm-hmm. think you're wrong. And I, I think you're, you're probably right. In fact, that the intention is for Kylo to have killed his dad. I just think that they're at least until episode eight comes out and patently proves me wrong. Um, I think there's there's room to hope. There's room to it dream. Is, it is kind of fun in between movies like this to, to wonder what everything means before it's really been nailed down by the next movie. The the handoff directorially between this trilogy is kind of interesting from like a narrative standpoint. Like J.J. set up this next one and he hands it off to Ryan Johnson. And so it's like it's kind of on this next director to do with the story what they will. Mm-hmm. And I kind of like that it's left open enough in that scene that the director could – go with the more narratively, in my mind, interesting uh, self-murder of Han Solo. I think that also, it's, I think that also, you know, it kind of depends on where they want to take Kylo Ren's character, because I'm not even sure that they want to do, they, they, you know, the intent of the moment might have been that Kylo is beyond saving, and maybe they don't want to do a redemption arc with him, because when you have that... Kylo Ren kill a character that is beloved as Han Solo is, you know, he's got to climb out of that hole that's pretty deep. No, for sure. A and lot of a lot of people aren't going to just give him the benefit of the doubt as far as, you know, how far he has to come in order to completely redeem himself. I think that um, that's probably true, but it's also Star Wars. So, like, Anakin Skywalker is the evilest dude in the galaxy for 30 years, but then he's not. And the question is, are, are we looking for that sort of, like, full symmetry in this new trilogy or not? I think it would be super interesting if Kylo is irredeemable and he dies evil. But I also think it would be potentially interesting if he really he continues to struggle with this. He gets pulled to the light. Like I mm-hmm. love that conflict. So I totally. I don't th- if if he did kill his dad. I think that that it is resolved. I don't think you can get. I don't think you can commit patricide and be like mm, I might still be a good guy. No, mm-mm, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. We again, it's going to be it's going to be settled. This is headcanon that's going to go away very very quickly. Um what it's going to go away either confirmed as the, the actuality of the Star Wars trilogy, the new trilogy, or nope, you're wrong, Kylo sucks. Yeah. Um he's just an evil dude. The reason I like it too is because it creates a fun uh sort of uh, echo of his father in Kylo cuz he takes credit for it, right? Yep. And so what if him taking credit for it is his Kessel run? Oh, that would be really interesting. That's that's his big accomplishment is that he slayed the famous Han Solo. Yeah, he killed his dad. Oh, wait, I'm, I'm lying. Whoops. <laughs> it would be just a, a fun symmetry between him and his father, a fun sort of mirroring of like genetically you guys are prone to not being great. Well, you know, if episode eight is any indication so far, he has his own special TIE fighter. So there's, you know, there's some of that piloting lineage in him, both from the Skywalker side and from the Solo side. But it would also be interesting if he's... Yeah, so theoretically, he should be the best. It, you know, it, it's, uh, it, it would be kind of an interesting thing, thing to throw in there if he, you know, is also really, um, really good at lying and convincing people that he's the best. <laughs> well, but I mean, so that, that would make such a fun tension between him and Snoke, right? Like, 
you know, Snoke assumes that with the with the patricide committed, he has this guy under his thumb. And if mm-hmm. you know Kylo goes on to betray Snoke, but is betraying a bad guy really betrayal, or is that you know coming around and doing the right thing? Hard to say. Uh, perspectives, but um, yeah, I think in the Star of... Wars world, it's probably you know that's that's a good turn, right? That's that's <laughs> that's a good act. Yeah. So if you pick your boss up and throw him down a maintenance shaft, uh, as long as your boss was being a bad guy, you're okay, more or less. Yeah, um, I guess so. But you know, I, I still don't think Sheev deserved it. <laughs> the emperor, the empire did nothing wrong. No. Um, <laughs> He was Sheev Palpatine was just a misunderstood guy. That's clearly what was happening. That's it. It breaks the movies my are biased. It's fake news. <laughs> I'm so sad. Like it was so close to the cutoff too, but it breaks my heart that Darth Plagueis is not canonical. Oh, it's in my head canon, 100. percent Oh yeah, it's locked in for me too because the Sheev Palpatine of that starts out as a petulant, terrible, like privileged child mm-hmm. who is then taught to harness that in the worst way, and thus Palpatine. He wasn't even Sheev in that book, which is interesting. They make a point of being like, nobody nobody wanted, to, nobody knew his first name because he didn't like his first name. He never used it, so he insisted that everybody call him Palpatine. And Disney came came along and added Sheev. I don't know why, but they did. But when, didn't they add that in Tarkin? Or no, did they add that in uh, Lords of the Sith? It might have been Lords of the Sith, yeah. It was one of the new, one of the first new books to come out. Yeah, I think it was either, but if it was Tarkin, then it was James Lucenko, if I'm saying his name correctly, um, who also wrote Plagueis. I'm going to yeah. have to look it up. I think that there are a couple of nods to Darth Plagueis in Tarkin, so I think that, you know, at least some of the events in, in that Legends book may have happened. So I really like the concept that Kylo didn't kill his dad, and I hope that Ryan Johnson or whoever does Episode Nine uh, will also enjoy that and make that the case, but... I, I I think it's very likely that Kylo Ren killed his dad. the the final The final like headcanon that I think is absolutely worth discussing is um, Han Solo's ardent belief uh, that there's no such thing as luck, despite mm-hmm. all of the evidence within his own life to the contrary. Yeah, this is a really interesting idea, right? He has a lot of things to say about the Force, but man, he sure seems to have a really good grasp on his environment and what's going on when he's piloting a ship. He seems to, like, 90% of the time get by just on luck and charm. He, you know, with the... He shot Greedo first. He was quick, and Greedo didn't notice him unbuckle his blaster. You know, people believed the the Kessel Run thing. Uh, he evades Jabba the Hutt's capture for, you know, a long time before Boba Fett finally catches up with him. <laughs> uh, let's talk about how he kills Boba Fett. No, that's that's literally blind luck, right? Exactly. The, the most feared bounty hunter in the galaxy, we are led to believe by all sources, and Han Solo accidentally knocks him into a Sarlacc. Whoopsie. Whoopsie, indeed. Like, <laughs> Boba Fett, where? And then Boba Fett dies. That is that is the most disappointing death in Star Wars. <laughs> no, everybody knows he got out of the Sarlacc. Yeah, and then the Bounty Hunter Wars happened, and him and Dengar got together, and they were able to uh, find the, the displaced heir to Kuat Drive Yards and stop, uh, stop Kuat Drive Yards uh, from, from doing stuff. And, and then, and then Den- Dengar gets married, and Boba Fett's his best man. <laughs> Don't forget about Jaster Muriel. Wasn't he like the imposter Boba Fett for a while? Uh, you're thinking of Jodo Cast. Jodo Cast, that's his name. That is uh, Jaster Muriel, if I'm remembering correctly, and I almost hope I'm not. Um, Jaster is uh, 
was Django's mentor. Oh, okay, interesting. After yeah, Boba Fett goes through slaves one, two, three, and four, I think in the old EU he settled on a big old spaceship called Jaster's Legacy. But I could be misremembering that. Wow, there's a lot of EU that I'm like completely, I just don't have in my brain sometimes. Like I've got little pockets of it here and there, but. There's so much, like, discarded material out there. Uh, I don't remember, like, kindergarten through third grade, but I do know about Jaster's legacy, so. <laughs> um, you know, you, you can't pick what you get to remember. Um, yeah, I think so much of Han Solo's existence is predicated on luck that we're forced to ask the question, could Han Solo potentially, not full-blown Jedi, but, like, Force-adjacent, perhaps? Yeah, this is a, I, I, I completely buy this. I think that the saga repeatedly like ties together really good piloting skills with ability in the Force. Um, mm-hmm. You know, it's it's one of the ways that uh, Qui Gon Jinn spots Anakin Skywalker. Right? They, I'm sure he has a sense of what's going on, but to hear that he is the only human that can pod race and he's like nine years old, that's crazy. He has to have you know the fast reflexes of a Jedi in order to pull that off. Similarly, like. Nobody would want to fly into an asteroid field, but Han seems to, you know, keep it under control for long enough that they can make their way and to a big asteroid and hide. You know, uh, maybe maybe regular pilots could figure that out. Maybe it takes uh, advanced piloting skill. Sure. But I think that you could re- read into it. There's something else going on. The odds of successfully navigating an asteroid field, that's like 37, 20 to 1. At least. At least. Uh, no, we repeatedly see that the best pilots tend to be Jedi. And the old EU had kind of, it, I mean, it, it was elaborated on, I suppose, more. But there seemed to be more room for people who were at least in tune to the Force without, like, full capacity for Jedidom. At least in the sort of, you know, more constricted uh, Disney EU, uh, or just Disney canon, Um Jedi seems a little more binary. A little bit, although there are still, you know, they're introducing people like there's the Church of the Force that uh, Jyn Erso's mother is a follower of. So there are, you know, there there are people like Baze and Chirrut. Um, and now in the Darth Vader comic, there are, you know, there are Jedi who survived Order 66 because they took an oath uh, to no longer practice as Jedi anymore. So there is a little bit of wiggle room, but it's not as, you know, you're right, It's th- there aren't as many, seemingly as many, like force sensitive characters who have like enough power that they could almost be, uh, you know, like a Jedi without needing Jedi training. There's a scene from a new hope that I always think about when I'm thinking about like Han Solo and his competency, uh, and just like dumb luck. And it's where he's like, it almost feels like something out of a Benny Hill thing, but he's like chasing a bunch of stormtroopers, And then it's a reverse shot of a bunch of stormtroopers chasing him. Mm-hmm. If you were to put yakety sacks behind that, I think it would totally make more sense. It completely works. I, I can see it in my head right now. Yeah, that's that's pretty funny. Everything he does, the whole like saving of Princess Leia is based on like a lot of luck and charisma. But is charisma not, you know, maybe sort of an extension of of the force? I mean, at least persuasion is, right? So you can be charming as hell, but if you can't persuade some somebody else to do something, then what's the use? Yeah. And, you know, maybe he has normal normal levels of of charisma that might affect, like, Jabba the Hutt when he's trying to get Jabba to, like, kind of cool it and let him, you know, let him pay him back. But, you know, if it goes deeper into the Force, then that means that he can, you know, convince people to do things for him or to help him. What is the line that he says to him in the special edition? 
uh, you're a swell human being or something. Yeah, he calls him a human being. You're you're uh, you're a wonderful human being. That's what you're he a says. wonderful human being. I feel like Jabba would kill it. Jabba should have killed him. No, absolutely. <laughs> Why does Jabba not kill him? I mean, admittedly, he is his boogie. So absolutely. <laughs> yeah, I, I I love Han Solo. I love Han Solo so much, but. He's a way more interesting character to me if he is as flawed as I like to pretend that he is. A hyper-competent... And I think that his... Yeah, being hyper-competent is really good, right? And there are so many characters in Star Wars that, you know, it's like, oh, this person has the Force and they're a superhero and they're awesome. Like, you need to have that contrast of people who are a little bit more like us mere mortals. Yeah, and I, I, um, I like that Han... He fails up. He just keeps succeeding beyond his own capacity. It's ridiculous. I, I love him. And I, I again, I like so much how The Force Awakens dealt with Han Solo, both in terms of like all of his tricks in the underworld have just dried up and expired and people's patience for him is totally toast. Yep. Um, but also the idea that he um, the possibility that he really makes like an overwhelmingly selfless act uh, in the name of love for his son. Yeah, it's 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 good to have the more flawed, like dishonest parts of his character put out there more in the Force Awakens. I think that it it says a lot about who they who JJ and um, Lawrence Kasdan interpret Han Solo to be. That his turn to being a good man and a family man for reasons that we don't fully understand yet. It was, you know, it was a, a phase in his life. It wasn't who he really is, like, underneath it all. Like, he's scrappy. He's out there trying to con people. Um, that's, you know, he, he kind of falls back into his old ways. And that's that says a lot about who he is, you know, at the end of the day. Even though he, he can reform and operate like a normal person for a while, he really is a flawed character, and that's interesting. Absolutely. I also, I like that when the movie starts, him and Leia have a super strained relationship. And I think that's kind of compelling. I like their love story in the original trilogy, but in terms of like people who are going to be successful in settling down together and having a shared existence, the old EU had them basically live happily ever after. But I, I kind of like the more nuanced and probably realistic Disney version where Han cannot be, cannot be second fiddle to anyone. Yeah, Han comes Han comes first in Han's world, and, absolutely. And Leia similarly work comes first. And and the tension that that would create. Yeah, it's it's you're right. It is it is somehow more more realistic. That's that's what's really fascinating about it that they didn't they didn't choose to keep the the character of Han Solo in his like final form from Return of the Jedi as like a good pure reformed uh, you know, heart of gold guy and that they're, you know, their their love peters out eventually they're they're unable to stay together long term which i think is is like kind of realistic given the kind of uh romance they had before they ended up yeah getting i mean married. it's kind of like the the prom queen and the the quarterback dating each other like it it seems unlikely in my nerdy cynical mind that that is going to have long-term success and leia's taste in men is questionable because i i my takeaway at the end of A New Hope is that she has a crush on somebody else, <laughs> which I guess her, her instincts kick in before the revelation that they're siblings. Yeah, that could have gotten pretty bad. That is, that is not a trope that needs to be mainstreamed, <laughs> in my opinion. <laughs> yeah, no, that's a-okay. Thanks for listening. If you disagree, have alternative headcanons, a headcanon you'd like us to talk about, or just want to say hi... 
drop us a line at looseheadcanonpod at gmail.com. We want to thank our awesome producer slash engineer, Boki. Our theme music is by Checkmate, so huge thanks to him as well. For more of his music, check out soundcloud.com slash checkmate underscore official. We also want to thank you for listening. Subscribe slash rate us on iTunes, and please, above all else, tell your friends to check us out.